and welcome to another episode of The Partial Historians. I am one Dr. Rad. And I am Dr. G. Welcome. Dr. G, I think this has got to be one of the longest years that we have ever covered in our recounting of the history of Rome from the founding of the city. I think that's really saying something, considering <laughs> how long it's been taking us to get through the years. But yeah, this is a, a year of such complexity that we've actually had to break it up over a few episodes. We have. Things are getting hairy in the city. Indeed. So what year are we in currently, Dr. G? We're in around about 460 BCE. And I think this is almost the first time that we've agreed on what year it might be I know. as well. So that's... So in sync. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together. Guys, we're having our years at the same time. So what has been making this year particularly stand out in your account of Dionysius? Um, the problem seems to be a huge conflict that is ongoing between the plebeians and the patricians. And it's sort mm. of come to a head under the consulship of 460 because we've got one really sort of ultra-conservative consul in there, uh, a Claudius, uh, no surprise. Could only be a Claudius. Could only be a Claudius. <laughs> um, and some pretty, uh, what seem to be some renegade tribune of the plebs mm. um, who have managed to sort of elicit support for a couple of years now. So they're back into the position again. And they've been trying to come down hard on the violence in the city that seems to be coming from the young patricians, uh, the yes. young boys with the cash in town. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is all sort of blown out of proportion to the point that uh, the consul Claudius has gotten up and accused the tribunes of lying in their accusations and uh, essentially getting the plebeians... Um, into such a corner that everybody is basically like, oh, I don't even know what I should be doing now. That's right. They had a mysterious letter, didn't they? Yes, there was rumors. Yeah. There were letters. Um, it's all happening. And this is all kind of the aftermath of the exile of this one particular patrician, Kaiser. Oh, Kaiser, uh, Kaiser. Kaiser. What a legacy he's left behind. Yeah. So this guy, he, I mean... He's seen his exile after all the mishmash that's been going on. It seems to have like a long legacy, I feel like. So this is all happening on the heels of that. Now, my account kind of was matching up a little bit with some of the stuff you were saying last time. But I think Libby has it playing out in a slightly different order. So just to remind you what was going on in my account in the aftermath of Kaizo's legacy last time was that the young patricians were seeming to adopt this like new strategy of trying to blend their anger at what had gone on with moderation. So they were fairly okay with the plebs and the tribunes when they weren't talking about this law that's been on the cards for a while. And this is the law about making laws. You've got to <laughs> have the laws down. visible, guys. Yeah. Visible laws, please. Yeah, this law to try and set the laws down permanently. But then they were getting really riled up whenever it was mentioned. And this seems to have just been like a new strategy to try and throw everyone off guard. Uh, and it seems to have had a certain level of success in that the plebeians, I think, were less angry with the patricians than they once were, in my account. That's when the new consuls come in. So that's when we get Gaius Claudius, son of Appius Claudius, notorious plebeian hater, <laughs> and Publius Valerius Publicola, who is, of course, a relative of the famous uh, Publicola, who's like a people lover, you know, known to be friend of the plebs. Yeah, it feels like yeah. we're dealing with tropes at this point in time rather than real history, my friends. I know, yeah. Lean into it, listeners. Lean into <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, so 
that's when the, their election happens in my particular account. And then things get pretty crazy. <laughs> okay, I'm very interested in what kind of crazy we're talking about okay, here. Well, basically, the tribunes I, I gather probably start to feel their power slipping away, you know, with the plebeians. They, they need to keep them on edge, you know, you've got to keep that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Love my sound effects, yeah. Got to keep that edge happening. And the plebeians are starting to become a little bit more complacent. Okay, so the tribunes are trying to make them more suspicious. And this is where the talk of conspiracy comes in. So this is where I feel like my account is kind of like linking up with yours. So they're talking about how, look, it's all just for show, guys. It's all just for show. <laughs> what they're trying to do <laughs> is getting you to go back to the days before the first secession of the plebs. Now that is taking us back, Dr. G. That is taking us back a long way. Yeah. This is where this whole conflict between the patricians and the plebeians all sort of began. When the plebeians basically packed up shop Toss their toys out of the pram, and we're like, we're out of here. We're going to live on that hill. <laughs> exactly. And they had to be coaxed back. So they're like, look, this is what they're trying to do, guys. Don't believe them. Okay. Mm. Also, they, they actually refer to the fact that we've noticed, you know, many a time, that there's this almost annual attack or like war with neighboring peoples it's a very unstable region my listeners very unstable <laughs> yeah exactly so particularly of course lately it's been the volsky and the aquians okay so there there is this sort of uh fear going on that you know it's it's that time of year <laughs> you can almost set your watch by it <laughs> there's going to be conflict happening um and so whilst they are worried about the fact that there might be you know some sort of other external attack internal problems arise <laughs> i think you know where i'm going with this dr g there's oh, an unexpected no. attack <laughs> from a totally what? unexpected quarter what the sabines we haven't talked about these guys in ages i thought we'd made up with them i know after <laughs> you know, raping their women and everything yeah no, all, i thought it was all good yeah. you know thought we were over that now Apparently not. No, we are not. In fact, actually, I probably shouldn't tar all the Sabines with this brush, Dr. G. It's actually really one Sabine in particular that I am concerned about, mm. and that is one Appius Herdonius. Oh, what a dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so apparently, this Appius Herdonius sneaks into Rome by night. Wait Behind, a minute. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Behind him, he's got around 2,500 slaves and exiles and together they seize control of the capital and the citadel why didn't the plebeians just do that themselves i know well, see, and the crazy thing is who are these exiles exiles from what <laughs> oh look there's got to be a lot of them by now yeah. i mean this this continuous annual warfare between all the peoples in the italian region well it's not just it's not just kaiser we're talking about here exiles oh plural you reckon Kaiser's in there? That'd be great. Yeah. Coming well, back with the enemy. This is the crazy thing. So obviously there's been some stuff going on that mm. hasn't been recorded in our sources. <laughs> yes. 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 Is, does this, I imagine Dionysus does not ignore this. Uh, oh, he does not ignore this. <laughs> okay, tell he me. devotes pages tell of his history to this situation. Yeah, I, I, can, I can just imagine. Tell me, what does he tell us about this young Appius Hadoum? Oh, well, all right. So we know he's a man of Sabine origins. Yes. Um, not obscure birth and powerful Ooh. because of his wealth. I have to mm. admit, his name does give me that impression. It's like Bond. <laughs> James Bond. Appius. Appius. Hedonius. <laughs> you can call me 
her derniers. <laughs> um, I like my citadels shaken, not stirred. <laughs> the appiest doesn't fall far from the tree. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> by name, by nature, he travels. By river, apparently, is how he gets into the city. Ah. Yeah. yeah, that explains something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the plebeians are hamstrung by the fact that they actually live in the town. Um, Sabas, on the other hand, live upstream. Exactly. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, let's take a ship. Yeah. No. We're going to go on a jaunt. You know where Rome isn't defended? In its inner soft belly, the Tiber itself. <laughs> um, so, you see, there seems to be varying accounts of, like, how many... Uh, men he has with them okay. with him yeah. um, so Livy says what 2,500 he's very precise about that it's a very round number it's a very round number <laughs> Dionysius is just as precise but uh, a much larger number Ooh, okay. he says 4,000 whoa yeah and they're not exiles and slaves they're now clients and servants of him? yeah oh okay yeah hello well, that makes sense if he's not of obscure birth not that, obscure that's code for <laughs> also rich yes yeah. quite well known actually yeah. <laughs> Um, so he has a force of about 4,000 men, apparently, and they all hop onto some river boats, as they do, um, sing some Sabine sailing songs. That's, that's quite a river cruise. <laughs> <laughs> How many men do we have on the boat? Do we need more boats? Like, I, I appreciate the sneaking in by the river, but can you sneak in with 4,000 people on boats? <laughs> Under the cover of darkness. Yes, yes, yes you can. Yes, okay. Um, so they land at the part of Rome where the capital stands. Um, not a full stay distant from the river. So imagine where Tiber Island is now. It's kind of there-ish. Okay. Um, the island doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, that comes later. It will. Yeah. Yeah. It will. It will arise. Yeah. Um, and they get in via the Porta Carmentalis. Okay. Uh, which is a sacred gate leading to the capital. Right. Bit of a problem. Um, and it had been left open because of an oracle. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I hope like, the oracle's very wrong. <laughs> um, well, apparently the oracle said that that gate should always be kept open. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Uh, so I don't know the nature of that oracle. I haven't traced that down. No, no, no. That's right. no I just it, I thought maybe it was like oh, a recent thing, and I was like, I feel like that's <laughs> maybe part of the subterfuge. <laughs> so the Sabine oracle told us to leave the gate open, and look what happened. No, uh, apparently it has to be open all the time for sacred purposes. Yeah, and it seems to be around this time in my account that anyone who's uh, you know resisting, well, it's the good old Star Wars line. Resistance is futile. Oh, Star Trek, please. <clears throat> is that Star Trek? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All these years, listeners. I'm sorry. I've been thinking of Star Wars. What the hell is wrong with me? Um, now I'm going to have to look it up, but I feel like... <laughs> All right. No, you're perfectly right. Well, let's move on. Let's stick to the look, subject that we I have know. something Roman to history. admit. In the midst of all of this, I have something to admit. I am not a huge science fiction nerd. There, I said oh, it. Oh, no. I said it. Now you can continue. Uh, I might narrative. be slightly more of a nerd, but <laughs> I'm going to check my facts now. Um, so he takes possession of the capital pretty easily. Right. Um, everybody's basically asleep. <laughs> of course. Middle you of the night. Yeah. Um, In the middle of the hmm. night. Yeah, but he has this, like, really great plan. He thinks it's going to work, which is that the the plebeians being so disaffected, because mm. this is the rumor that sort of prompted him to go ahead with this action in the first place. Of course. Yeah. Is that the plebeians are really upset with the patricians. Yeah. And he figures that they'll come over to his side once mm. they see this opportunity. Yes. 
Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Never count the plebeians to act in a predictable manner. (laughs) If our analytic tradition tells us anything, it's that our authors know nothing about how the working class operates. Um, And they can be relied upon to not act in a way that makes any sense. Um, So they they get into a really great defensive position. They're on the top of the capital. It's a good hill, good view, nice defended fortress. It's clearly where the Romans wanted to be. They chose it. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward times. Prime positioning. Yeah, um, but everybody in the city is kind of aware in the surrounding area because they're being chucked out of their homes or whatever um, while this fortress is being taken and the Sabine forces are pushing outwards to try and get a defensive perimeter. So people understand the city is under attack. Yeah, I've I've definitely got people running confused down into the forum going, help, help. (laughs) Help, help, I've just been thrown out of my bed. Um, And Dionysius describes this as like resistance happens almost immediately. Because the locals, although unaware of who is attacking them and why, yeah. understand that they're being attacked Absolutely. and imbi- immediately go into defensive mode. Nonetheless, though, in Livy's account, the consuls, once they become aware of the situation, are at first a little wary. And I can understand why, especially given the backstory that you gave us last episode, you know, with all the, the rumor, the conspiracy, all that kind of stuff. The consuls aren't entirely sure at first whether they are actually facing attack from, you know, internal forces, like some sort of internal conspiracy, or whether it is, in fact, something external. And so they're a bit like, mm, I don't know, do we give them weapons? Is that stupid? Do we Am I crazy? the citizens? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if the citizens are the ones who are against us? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So like, this is, that's why the whole, that, I think that's the whole point of that backstory of, you know, the, the oh. tributes, the patricians, all the games people are playing. Yeah, yeah. You know what? If this story teaches us nothing, Dr. G, it teaches something about relationships, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It's always better to be open and honest, <laughs> no matter how painful. Transparency. <laughs> <laughs> Which, ironically, is what the Marines were asking for. <laughs> yes, and not getting, it would seem. Yeah. Um, do you hand that angry plebeian a stick? I think you should, probably should, but it is a risk. It's obviously a risk right now. Well, and, and there's also, of course, the fact that everyone's panicking. You know, nobody knows what the hell is going on. So the plebeians are also quite scared. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they seem also, like, relatively organized. I mean, if you think about it, older patrician, o- older plebeians, sorry, um, will have seen a number of wars by this point, like a lot of campaigns. Um, so they yeah. understand how how to navigate a, oh, yeah. Look, a the, sort of a battle The consuls decide to take the plunge and give a certain amount of people weapons. Not everyone, <laughs> but a certain amount of people. <laughs> mm, okay, so like the way that Dionysius sort of uh, builds this is to suggest that the older plebeians understand that the, the city is under threat and they immediately move themselves to the rooftop for wow. a good defensive position okay, so then... they can throw rocks and stuff. <laughs> Because that's where they'll be best. What a classic plebeian move. <laughs> now, there doesn't seem to be that kind of distinction between the ages of the people mm. in my account. It's more just that the consuls decide, look, it's looking bad. It's grim when you look at it. So let's just give some people weapons and see what happens. Um, and in the meantime, there are people who are somewhat panicky. But Livy does also indicate, as you, as you have, that nonetheless, plebeians can be relied upon to act as a relatively effective force yeah yeah yeah. okay so the consuls call the citizens together give them some arms how about it let's go and fight this threat (laughs) um in dionysius's account the tribunes are also there 
and they call their own assembly. Mm. And they're like, watch out, plebeians. You should not fight unless you're going to get something in return. Mm. Like, this is pretty standard stuff. You should be fighting for a cause. Um, and she should probably know what the terms of your engagement in this battle are before it starts. Interesting. <laughs> Let's pause and talk about your rights and your responsibilities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what this whole paragraph is all about. Yeah. Um, so the tribunes are sort of like strategically planning ahead, being like, guys, you need to think about what rights you want to get out of this because this is your prime opportunity. The patricians are actually legitimately physically threatened right it's now. It's almost as though it was planned to come at just the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> was it an inside job? Our sources don't say. Well, I mean, it is quite scary because Herdonius is calling all slaves to join him. You know, he's not just like, plebeians, let's unite. But he is particularly, I think, trying to call on, like, The lower of the low. The lower of the low, exactly. Um, And he's like, and look, if you guys aren't going to join me, then what the hell? I'll just turn to the Volsky and the Aquians. Like, they'll join me. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah. I call upon the most disadvantaged to join me. Exactly. This is your chance to change things. The enemies of the state. <laughs> <laughs> Claudius, as consul, gets pretty irate about um, the tribunes trying to get involved in this. Of course he does. And yep. basically lambasts <laughs> them for like, how dare you try to make a deal when the very defense of our nation is at stake? Yeah, this kind of happens in my account as well, in that the tribunes are like, this is all just a ploy. Everyone calm the hell down. Nothing's happening. This is just the patricians trying to get at you. Really, you should be using this to your advantage. Exactly how it happens in your account. It just happens slightly later on, I think, in the, Mm -hmm. the nature of the narrative. Yes, okay. So we've got this sense in which they're, they're sort of like interweaving. Livy and Dionysius are interweaving with each other with where they place the details in this exactly. narrative. Exactly, but the, the essential point is definitely the same. There's a lot of confusion, <laughs> there's a lot of panic, and it seems like there is a genuine reason for them to be panicking. Oh, there is yeah. definitely a genuine reason to panic. Yeah. Um, Claudius goes so far as to say that the patricians will start to take up arms themselves. What? Wow. Fighting their own battles? <laughs> what? That's just crazy talk. <laughs> I've put down wow and impressive <laughs> as my notes on this. Um, yeah. Even though I might break a nail, guys, I'll do it if I have to. <laughs> we'll take up arms ourselves. We'll defend our own person and well, bodies. I mean, it's definitely a scary thing because there's still also, regardless of whether the, you know, the Philippians are in on this, there's also the, the frightening thought that maybe this is also a ploy on behalf of, like, a united front of enemies. You know, maybe this is the Volskians and the Aquians. Maybe this is just a trick to try and get into the center of the city rather than just, you know, like, ravaging the neighboring farms or something like that. Um, it could be something really dangerous. And calling on the lowest of the low, like the way that Herodonius is, particularly the slaves. I mean... This is really interesting because we don't have a lot of insight into slavery at this point in time in Rome. Because obviously, as we've talked about before, Rome is fairly small. It doesn't have this huge empire to draw slaves from. But there is this talk in Livy of how people are terrified because slaves are in every household. Like that there are slaves everywhere. And that this is why it's particularly scary. Because they're people that you live with, that you share your lives with. 
And now all of a sudden it seems like you might have a traitor in your midst. (laughs) But I wonder, like, how likely is it that every household in this period of Roman history would have had slaves? I think the code is patricians have slaves. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, like, like they're the ones that I think that are freaking out. All right, well, they they should be freaking out. This is not going to end well. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, the other thing that I find quite interesting in this account, because Dionysius spends a lot of time on like what the consuls are saying, because sure. Valerius also comes out and has a few words to say. Ah, the man and, of the people. Yeah, the man of the people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's kind of like, chill out, everybody. Um, he he opposes Claudius's perspective. He was like, look, you're, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. You know, you can't treat the plebeians like this. Mm. This is not the way to do it. You need these people on your side. These are Romans. Yes. Um, So threatening them, saying that you're just going to bring in, you're going to take up arms yourself, that you're going to call the allies in from outside to deal with this internal invasion that we've got here. He's like... Why are we going to push it like this? Yeah. These people are here already. This needs to be dealt with now. Yeah. Arm the plebeians. Let's get on with it. And we'll talk about this afterwards. Yeah, this definitely happens in a similar way in my account in that, you know, the consuls have summoned together the Senate. They're terrified of the tribunes because the tribunes are trying to convince the plebeians that there's not actually an attack, that it's all, you know, it's fake news, guys. It's fake news. Okay. So the consuls... You see that flag of the Sabine people on top of the fortress? I made it myself. Yeah. I made it myself. (laughs) The Ruskies had something to do with it. Yeah. Um, So the consuls are, you know, freaking out. The Senate's freaking out. But Publius Valerius, when he hears that men are starting to buy into these ideas that it's you know all fake or whatever and therefore laying down their weapons and saying yeah okay i don't need to fight anymore whatever he leaves claudius in charge of the senate rushes to the courier to see the tribunes and the plebs and kind of does a similar thing in your account is that he's like look if you give up now you're just going to be handing room to its enemies like you've got to keep fighting them like he actually kind of like shames them he's like like what are you doing? You know, like, are you seriously just going to do this? Just like lay down and let them walk in? <laughs> the Sabines of, of all the people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, this is definitely a dramatic moment. It's slightly different to the vibe that you're, that you're giving me, but similar sort of idea. Yeah. So Valerius manages um, to sort of persuade uh, the Senate, generally speaking, that the tribunes will sort of lay off for the meantime. Yeah. Um, because the law that they're asking about, that they're really pushing towards, this transparency of the law code. Yeah. Um, actually, they will deal with that once they've dealt with this, and it will be put to motion. So he makes this promise to them. We're, we're definitely going to look into this equality before the law, mm-hmm. after this situation yeah. has been resolved. We've got this, see, there's no equality before the law if we're all, you know, <laughs> wiped out. <laughs> if we're dead, yeah. we can't do yeah. it. He gets very dramatic in Livy's account. Like, Livy, as you know, just is not always going for speeches. But he has this very dramatic finish where he's, like, basically daring the tribunes to order an attack on himself. Oh, wow. He's like, if you forbid the plebeians to go to war with Appius Hedonius, then I dare you to order an attack on me. Uh, and he's, he's going into all his ancestors and how, you know, look, dudes, my ancestors resisted the kings and I will treat you tribunes in the same fashion. Like, he gets quite dramatic. Wow. <laughs> yeah. This is intense. I know. This is such a pivotal moment. Okay, we are in a, it's like this grand sort of crux of like Roman history right here. Absolutely. Where we've got everything happening. Like, 
the conservative patrician on the one hand in Claudius, the pro-people consul in uh, Valerius on the other hand, the tribunes who have held their position for the second consecutive year. Mm. So they're starting to push some boundaries which nobody knew really existed because what sort of majesty goes for more than a year anyway? True. And we've got the Sabines sitting in a fortress on the capital. (laughs) And nobody's even paying attention to them. (laughs) And at the moment, nobody's doing anything. Except the old guy who's throwing a rock from his roof. (laughs) See, what happens is, after, like, the very dramatic moment with, uh, Valerius Publicola. The tribunes get scared because night falls and they're quite intimidated by like what the consuls, you know, might do at nighttime. So they sort of retreat. While they're in the background, the senators come forward and start mingling amongst the plebeians and trying to be like, hey, it's a real war, pass it on. <laughs> and like telling people, you know, we really need to come together, guys. Um, and so and they're also, as you say, they've also been forced to sort of take up action themselves in that uh, the consuls are patrolling the city walls. They're keeping an eye out for any, you know, wayward Sabines. More riverboats. Yeah, Sabines, <laughs> Etruscans. Who the hell is going to attack us? Like, we just need to keep an eye on things. So it's pretty, it's pretty crucial stuff this particular night. Hmm... So this is where things start to get a little bit dicey. Okay. I think. <laughs> now it gets dicey. Okay. Now it gets dicey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was just the setup. Um, so we've got, according to Dionysius, Claudius has to keep guard on the wall. Okay, that matches up with my account. Yeah. Um, and Valerius is assigned to the siege of the fortress. Right, okay. Um, so they're, they're split up, essentially. Yeah. Um, one has the easy job, one not so much. Right. Um, others are sort of posted throughout. So it's kind of like patricians leading, plebeians following suit. Yeah. As they should do. (laughs) (laughs) And then unexpectedly, Mm. all of a sudden, out of the darkness, (laughs) who should appear but Lucius Mamilius? Ah, from Tusculum. From Tusculum. (laughs) Nobody was expecting him. Um, (laughs) He has turned up. Um, with a force because he apparently saw the Sabine riverboat sail pass and was like, something seems to be up. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. <laughs> I Wait a minute. That's a lot of Sabine riverboats. Yeah, so um, look, Tusculum is about, I believe, 25 kilometers southeast of Rome. And this guy is the dictator of Tusculum. Okay? He certainly is. Yeah, and, and Tusculum has been a loyal ally of Rome ever since the battle... Like with like the Latin allies way back at Lake Regulus, way back at the beginning of the Republic. Yeah, this yeah. is he's got some street cred. So yeah, so one of his ancestors died at the Battle of Lake Regulus. Yeah, um, he traces his family lineage um, back to Odysseus and Circe. Ooh, yeah, wow, wow, Circe. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um. Apparently, his mother was the daughter of Telonicus. Which is the illicit child of Odysseus and Circe. Wow, okay. Yes. That is very elite. Yes, Mamilia is uh, Telonicus's daughter. Ah, okay. and hence his name. Hence the name. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, illustrious background. Uh, a little bit Greek. <laughs> <laughs> Noticed something was up with the Sabines, decided to check it out. Yeah, and he's like, he's talking to his Senate going, look, guys... Clearly, something is amiss. We can't just sit around and wait to be asked for help. Gotta take the initiative. I think we should uh, troop along to Rome and see what's going on there. I like the cut of his jib. <laughs> and I think he, he, he does this because he's like, look, this is gonna... 
this is going to work in our favour. Rome's pretty important, in case you haven't noticed. And on top of which, the gods will also reward us for being so selfless and coming to the aid of Rome. Mm, there's yeah. nothing like a bit of uh, God's favour on your side. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so he rocks up and he's like, Valerius, my man, look <laughs> like you need some help with this siege. And the Romans at first are like, what the hell? <laughs> We're oh, being people, again. More armed people. <laughs> uh, but then they're, then they're like, oh, sorry, your friends. <laughs> oh, gotcha. hey, bro. <laughs> yeah, let me take you straight to the forum. <laughs> come in, come in. Um, so they get themselves set up for a proper siege. Um, there's vessels of bitumen. There's burning pitch. Ooh. Yeah. Being hurled in slings. Um, they start gathering up some dry faggots. I know. Yeah, okay. yeah that's, what, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. uh, bundles of sticks, listeners. Um, and they create some heaps against the wall of the fortress to set it on fire. Nice. Yes. Yeah. In the meantime, in my account, see, this is where Valerius kind of says to the plebs, look, let's just... It, Libby basically says, look, with the weight of his personal influence, Valerius has prevailed upon the plebeians to put aside the law issue with the promise that they will come back to it, but just not right now. And as a result... We've got basically like the allies from Tusculum and the citizens of Rome competing to see who's going to be able to recapture the citadel. <laughs> Will it be Mamilius? <laughs> Will it be Valerius? The clock starts now. Yeah. And I've got something kind of tragic on the horizon. I don't know. I don't know if there's more details that you have before I get to that tragic. Um, <laughs> I, I've got a tragedy on my horizon. Uh, just, just you wait. Um, so, I mean, Dionysius goes into a little bit of detail about the difficulty of sieges. Okay. Um, and the Roman forces have not really been prepared or trained for such sieges. It's not the typical type of warfare, is it? No. Okay. Um, and, like, historically, their sieges end terribly. Um, <laughs> I mean, up until now in their history. Maybe later that gets better. Yeah. But this is a siege that's not on a camp. It's within their own city. Sure. So they're facing narrow streets and a difficult hill yeah. that they have to get up. And so their forces are getting split up. They're easy to pick off uh, by the Sabine forces That's in the fortress. That's why you want to have the higher ground. <laughs> yeah, the higher ground is an advantage. Yeah. And they kind of, this is the first moment that they realize that all of the force that they have to like shoot things up sort of dissipates by the time the arrow gets to the enemy. <laughs> They're like, I'm firing these arrows, but it's like nothing's happening. And the guys on the top in the fortress are dropping rocks and they're picking up speed. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's just not even fair around here. It's almost like there's some sort of force <laughs> that's driving this. This is really working against us. I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, but I really don't like Where's it. Where's Isaac Newton where you need him? <laughs> yeah, so they're having some problems and they're trying to persevere. Uh, but it just it just kind of goes on and on. And as far as uh, Dionysus' account goes, this goes on for about three days before the Sabines finally Wait, run out what? of ammunition. What? It takes three days for the Sabines to get through their supplies and actually have no more rocks to chuck out of the fortress. Wow. <laughs> I do, did not get the impression that that amount of time had passed in Livy. Now, that could just be because Livy's not very specific, but... Seriously, I thought it was all happening at once. Wow, that's crazy. Mm. <laughs> See, because once, once every once, like, once the people from Tusculum and the plebeians are on side, it seems very much in Livy's account. Like, so they start their competition, and instantly the Sabines are like, "Oh no, I'm trembling in my little boots." <laughs> so <Please> stop. <laughs> I I do not get yeah, like a long drawn out 
battle-y kind of thing. <laughs> wow, it's yeah. just like, it's just done and dusted very quickly. Well, I, I mean, yeah, like, as in, it definitely doesn't take like three days, definitely not. All right. Well, I mean, what's three days when we're talking about a year? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) true, true. true. Uh, This is where the tragedy uh, comes into play. Ah, yes. Yes. Um, Listeners, get your your Kleenex ready. I hate to break it to you, but our favorite of the two consoles doesn't make it through the battle. (laughs) Such bad luck. Um, if you can hear meowing, that's one of our podcats, by the way. <laughs> he's, 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 he's beside himself. Destroyed. Destroyed. At the loss that yeah. is about to, to be detailed to you. <laughs> it turns out in the final push uh, for the fortress, Valerius is unfortunately uh, killed. Um, and he doesn't receive many wounds, apparently. Um, he refuses to retire from the front lines, though, and this means that a huge rock crashes down upon him as he's trying to mount the wall what of the indeed. fortress, snatching from him at once the victory and life itself. Wow. Yes. I then have a very dramatic moment where a former consul, Publius Volumnius, sees his death. Oh. And he's like, horrible. Oh, no. So he orders men to come up and like protect the body and then like throws himself where Valerius had been into the battle because he's like, not on my watch. <laughs> um, but as a result of that action, it seems like not many people actually knew that Valerius had fallen until they had like they had already won. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like, it's not until the battle's over, which, to be honest, that kind of makes sense to me. I mean, in the chaos of battle, it's not like you're all going to stop and go, oh, no, this oh, one no, died. Oh, no, that guy. That <laughs> one guy died. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it takes a while for his death to actually register in my account. Oh, okay. So, pretty horrifying. The news doesn't spread. Um, it's pretty tragic. Yeah. Herdonius gets something more akin to a hero's death. Um, in Dionysius's account. See, I just get that he was killed. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's uh, his physical strength is remarked upon oh, okay. and his bravery in action. Mm. And he piles up an incredible heap of dead bodies around himself. <laughs> Whether he kills them or oh, whether he's just dragging them around. Them? Feng Shui, guys, Feng Shui. <laughs> it's, it's not at all clear. Um, is it because he's killed them or is it because he's making some sort of really distasteful artistic arrangement? Not at all clear. Um, um, but he does perish under a multitude of missiles. Mm. Um, so he's eventually spotted and they really just go for him. And in the meantime, of course, many of the exiles that were fighting alongside him, at least according to Livy, are slain. And many are also taken prisoner. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that would explain where the slaves can come from. Mm. Ah, yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. And after all of that, Livy goes straight into the fact that the capital then had to be purged and purified. Yes. Well, it would, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. there's got to be a lot of blood. It has been soiled. Yes. Soiled, actually. <laughs> soiled. <laughs> yes. That it, yes. Um, I don't really have much more to add to that, I think. I well, think that's the final much detail where, yeah. that I have really goes back to Valerius. Okay. So yeah. obviously everybody now knows that this great man fell, that he was telling the truth, that there really was a war going on. And so the plebeians give money, like throw, they throw their own coppers into his house because they want to contribute to his funeral and make sure he has the grandest possible funeral possible. Wow. Which I think is a pretty nice note to finish on. Yeah. Given all the conflict between the Patrician and the (laughs) Pelians that we have been seeing lately. There's some unity coming back into the ranks. Just a little bit. (laughs) So with that, Dr. G, I believe that takes us to 
the Pershaw Pick. If anybody can keep Hamish quiet, it's Igor. <laughs> so, Dr. G, what are our categories for the partial pick? Well, our first category is military clout. Okay, so the Romans can score a possible 10 golden eagles per category. They can. For military clout, this is a tricky one because they do win. They do. But it really takes them a while to get there. They have to learn how to do siege warfare inside a city first. And they also, let's face it, have some allies. And I kind of feel like maybe both our accounts are downplaying the role of the allies. They seem pretty important to how this goes. Yeah. (laughs) If for for no other reason than convincing the plebeians that there's actually a war going on. Hi, I'm from Tusculum, and I think there's a problem. Oh! (laughs) Okay, so I kind of feel like maybe a six? Or is that too high? Yeah, look, a six or a five. I feel like it's hovering around in that sort of region, isn't it? I was going to go five, but then I thought they did win. They did win. Oh, yeah. Okay, a six. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, a six for military collapse. Yes. What's our next category? Mm, The second category is diplomacy. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> um, I think external diplomacy is a 50-50 because they did get invaded, but they also had an ally turn up. So that's that's a what, plus one, minus one situation. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, let's face it. It's not to do with their diplomacy that they had an invasion happen. So. Are you sure? I feel like that's a failure in diplomatic <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> true, true. Um, yeah, and then the whole patrician plebeian thing. I mean, mm. Valerius does convince the plebeians eventually, but it takes quite a lot of dramatic, you know... It does. And there's a lot of resistance to it. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the like patricians in their natural state would have said no. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. Do we think a four? Maybe a four. Yeah, yeah. maybe a three. Three? Okay. I'm yeah, happy. look, it's not... I don't think it's going great guns. <laughs> they haven't really learned how to be diplomatic yet. No, <laughs> no. Um, our third category to consider is expansion. Nope. Nope. That's a, that's a, that's <laughs> a hard zero. <laughs> if anything, it's a minus numbers for at least part of the episode. Exactly. Uh, the fourth category is Weirtus. Okay. Now, mm. there is definitely some of that going on. Yes. Uh, mostly patrician. <laughs> well, yes. And it's considered to be a very patrician quality as well. Yeah. So this is perhaps a little bit unsurprising. But Valerius wanting to be at the front line yeah. of that siege, yeah. wanting to go over the wall yeah. visibly, that's a very much a weirdest kind of thing to do. Absolutely. Um, and I think and the, if he'd made the, it, he'd get a crown for that. Yeah. And the, I think the way that he talks to the plebeians when he's trying to get them on side, you know, bringing up his ancestors... Being very dramatic and being like, take me on, guys, I dare ya. Did you uh, hear about my dad? Yeah. And then my granddad? <laughs> then my grand-granddad? We're all awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I definitely think he gets some points. I mean, Claudius is very much in the background, but I suppose he's doing some good stuff as well, as far as they're concerned, you know, being on the patrol... Keep an eye on the senators, you know. And also taking an uber patrician perspective could be considered a sign of weirdness I mean. as yeah, well. Yeah, like he's he's unyielding. <laughs> yes, um, so. as Claudians tend to be. So I don't know, like a. Oh look, like I'm. A five? I feel like for the noble sacrifice of Valerius, yeah. I'm gonna promote that to maybe a seven. Ooh, okay. you know what? I'll give it to you because of Alumnius, who like throws himself in front of the body, like yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, done. 
All right. Final and category. Final category. How was it like to be a citizen? Oh, geez. In this time period. <laughs> not great. You're living in a time of fake news. <laughs> it could have been better. I could have not been invaded by the Sabines, for instance. I could have not had the patricians try to prevent me from having equality before the law. I don't know. Uh, I feel... Mm. I mean... Look, they do get a promise out of Valerius, at least, that there's going to be talk of the law afterwards, right? Mm. So that's something. <laughs> and they do, you know, they do fight and they do come together and... Uh... I'm going to say about a four. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's You know, they sweet. haven't really won anything. And they certainly had to fight again, which is a bit lame. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Dr. G, I'm afraid to tell you that once again, the Romans have not scored 50%. Oh. Out of a grand... Possible total of 50 golden eagles. The Romans have 20 on the scoreboard today. <laughs> Look, it's much better than they've been doing recently, I feel. Look, you know what? Considering that what we're dealing with here is an invasion, which seems to be manned by, you know, the dispossessed. <laughs> the very unhappy. And they, they seem to have got into the city with no trouble. <laughs> and then people aren't even sure that they're there or what's going on. Given all of that... That's actually better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> They've done all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they like battles. You know, it's all going quite well. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that closes out another crazy episode <laughs> of the Partial Historians. Ah, uh, yes. Join us next time because we are still in 460. <laughs> this year is not over yet. It is not. There is more to come. <laughs>